Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have a few other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Canada's Great War, Pucks and Cups, and Coast to Coast. They're all available on all podcast platforms, and I do all of them full-time. So every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I truly appreciate it, and I'll thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37, where I put up daily videos. You can also find weekly videos on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. And you can also visit my website where I have hundreds of articles about Canada's history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. Before Europeans ever came to Canada and long before fur traders and explorers, the land that would be Vernon was occupied by the Okanagan people who named the area Nintelmuschin, which means jumping over place where the creek narrows. The name comes from the fact that the banks of the creek through the community nearly meet at one point and it's possible to jump across. One of the most notable indigenous to occupy the area was Chief Kalamalka, who was born sometime around 1800. He was a hunter who was widely respected in the area, who had once taken down a grizzly at close quarters. It is for him that one of the first hotels in Vernon was named, as was a lake nearby. Europeans started to arrive in the area in 1811 when David Stewart, who worked for the Pacific Fur Company, came to the area. He would become the first white person to see the Okanagan Valley, and with the abundance of furs in the area and the beautiful landscape, it did not take long for the area to become important. In 1860, missionaries established a priest's house along the creek to be used as a temporary residence for the priest as he traveled to the Okanagan Mission, and the first white settler would be Luke Girard, who would settle around 1861. He would build a cabin in 1867, and that cabin continues to exist to this day. Girard had come to the area from Quebec to find gold and decided to stay. Considered the first permanent resident of Vernon, he would plant the first commercial orchard in the Vernon area as well. In 1921, work began to preserve the cabin, and it would be used by the Vernon Lawn Bowling Club for 75 years, and in 1981, it was made a municipal heritage site. The building was eventually moved to Girard Park, 70 meters from its original site in 1997, and it was completely restored. Now I would like to take a moment to talk about the park as it has a long history in the Vernon area. Rock Park, or the Rock or Girard Park, is a prominent rocky hill in the community. It was at this park that the priest's house was established in 1860, and in 1871, a trail through it was upgraded to a wagon road called the Okanagan Brigade Trail, which linked Fort Vancouver in the future state of Washington to what is now Kamloops. The trail followed the early indigenous trade routes that crisscrossed the landscape. Along with Girard, Rock Park is associated with several other pioneer families, including Gideon Milligan, who owned the Okanagan Hotel and Victoria Hotel. He would sell a cottage he had on the property to F.B. Jacques in 1891, and it would remain in the family until 1975 when the city bought it. In 1983, it was zoned to become a park, and today it is one of the most beautiful parks in Vernon, celebrated for its ecological and aesthetic value. Its historic value is massive as many of the early buildings of Vernon were built using stone from this hill, and the indigenous flora and fauna can still be found in the area.
In 2000, it was made a community heritage resource. Now, the history of Vernon truly begins in 1863 when gold was discovered nearby, igniting a gold rush that brought in prospectors and miners. With those miners came people looking to make money off of them and those who came after. Ranches also sprang up in the area thanks to the beautiful land. Cornelius O'Keefe saw this potential, and in 1867, he would establish the O'Keefe Ranch. This ranch would slowly grow as O'Keefe grew his herd of livestock until 1891 when it covered 12,000 acres. On the ranch, he grew wheat and raised cattle and sheep. O'Keefe would keep his ranch operating even as the price of beef began to fall in the 1890s and the land around him was converted for use as orchards. He would subdivide his land as time went on and finally sold his holdings to the Land and Agricultural Company of Canada in 1907. O'Keefe would use the money to invest in Vernon, buying town lots and building businesses. In 1911, he was elected as the honorary president of the Vernon Conservation Association. O'Keefe's son, Tierney, would go back to his roots by opening the O'Keefe Ranch 12 kilometers north of Vernon. He and his wife, Betty, would operate the ranch for 10 years and then sold it to a charity who sold it to the city of Vernon for $1 to be used as a historic site. Today, the O'Keefe Ranch still exists and operates from May until October. At the ranch, there are over 10,000 artifacts from the history of the area, including 2,500 that originally belonged to the O'Keefe family. The ranch also includes several original historic buildings. The St. Anne's Church, which was built in 1889, can be found here with its original pews, pump organs, and priest's vestments. The original log house of Cornelius and his wife Marianne is also at the ranch. In 1882, when the Governor General of Canada visited the area for a hunting trip, he stayed in this log home. There is also the O'Keefe Mansion, built between 1886 and 1896, which features the original furniture bought by Cornelius. You can also find the Balmoral Schoolhouse, built in 1912, and the Greenhouse Museum also operates at the site out of a house that was built in 1941. In this museum, there are several rotating exhibits as well as artifacts, documents, books, and photographs. The true start of Vernon begins with William Campbell, who bought the site of the village and started up a store. He did not finish the building, but in 1864, John Imlay arrived. He had been a stonemason who worked on the Parliament buildings, and he bought Campbell's land and started a store, arguably the first store in the area of Vernon. In 1885, E.J. Tronson and Charles Brewer arrived and laid out a proper townsite and called it Centerville. Centerville soon had a hotel, general store, school, and post office. And the post office would actually be located in the Girard cabin. Girard had also donated land to be used as the first cemetery for Vernon, and it was there in 1895 that he would be buried. The name Centerville would not stick, and the name would become Vernon in 1887 in honor of Forbes George Vernon, who was a member of the British Columbia Legislature, who owned a large amount of land nearby to present-day Vernon. In 1890, Lord Aberdeen, the Governor General of Canada, along with his wife, Lady Aberdeen, visited the Vernon area. He would say after his visit that he was very impressed with the landscape of the area, and he would buy 450 acres of agricultural land in the area after visiting with Forbes George Vernon. Online security is something I know a bit about. Before I was a podcaster, or even a journalist, I was a network administrator. Keeping computers secure at my work was paramount to what I did, and it was very difficult to do 15 years ago. But now, a company like NordVPN makes it much easier to stay safe online and not be exploited by hackers. NordVPN allows you to change your IP address, which makes you harder to track, and that secures your privacy online. Their software is easy to set up and easy to use. With it, you are one click away from security online and protecting yourself from those who want your information for nefarious purposes. For all of my listeners, NordVPN is offering a discount on their service. 
just go to nordvpn.com EHX and enter in the offer code of EHX to take advantage of the savings. You can also click the link in my show notes. Your internet security is only one click away through a reliable company like NordVPN. While the gold rush had helped to begin the development of Vernon, things still moved slow. This would all change in 1891 when the Canadian Pacific Railway came through. On December 30th, 1892, Vernon became a city, and in 1903, a city hall was built. In 1904, Vernon was the largest community in Okanagan and the first to have a telephone and bank. On February 23, 1893, the first Winter Carnival would be held on Long Lake. It's believed to be the first Winter Carnival to be held on ice in the history of British Columbia. The carnival would be held every so often from that point on. And then finally, on January 27th to February 5th, 1961, the annual Winter Carnival, as it was known, was held. This carnival featured a minor hockey tournament, skating, ice races, and a parade. And people from all across British Columbia came out for it. The parade had 10,000 people lining the streets to watch 106 floats go by, making it the biggest parade in the history of Vernon to that point. The entire carnival was declared open by Lieutenant Governor George Perks, who was on hand to take part in the festivities, and he would call this first carnival an outstanding success and was sure that it would continue to grow. The return of the Winter Carnival was a massive success, and the Vancouver province would report, quote, The first Winter Carnival represents months of community planning and community drive, end quote. The carnival is still held to this day, and over 100 events occur over the now 10-day festival. What started small has grown to become the largest winter carnival in Western Canada. The year the first carnival was held, the third elementary school in Vernon would be built. This two-story building, which cost $5,000 to build, would become one of the most prominent buildings in the community. For over a century, this school would be the center of education for the community, and originally it featured four rooms with activity rooms for boys and girls in the basement. As time went on, the school would be expanded on, and while other schools would come and go, including the Vernon High School, Vernon's first brick school continued to serve the community. In 1918, Clarence Fulton would become the principal of the school and would remain with the school system for 35 years. Eventually, the high school would be named for him. Today, Park School is the oldest surviving brick school in British Columbia's interior, and by some accounts, the entire province. And as can be expected due to its long history, it was made a heritage property in 1981. In 1896, a young man named Frederick McCall would be born in Vernon. During the First World War, he would enlist with the 175th Battalion and was in France by mid-1917. He would then transfer to the Royal Flying Corps, serving with the number X111 Squadron, and he would shoot down his first German aircraft soon after training and earn the Military Cross. Two weeks later, he shot down another plane and earned a bar on his medal. In 1918, he recorded four kills in the air and was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, and on June 28, 1918, he shot down another four German aircraft. Two days later, he shot down five more German planes, four in the morning and one in the afternoon. For that, he was awarded the Distinguished Service Order. He would be shot down on August 17, 1918, the day he recorded his last of 35 air victories against a German plane. And while he was recovering, the war ended. McCall then began to work on various civil aviation ventures, including stunt flying. On July 5, 1919, while doing a stunt, he crashed into a merry-go-round at the Calgary Stampede. He would eventually found Great Western Airways, which prospered in the interwar years. In 1939, the Calgary Airport was named for him, but has been since renamed the Calgary International Airport. When the Second World War began, he was recalled into service, serving as a squadron leader at various Western Canada bases. And on January 22, 1949, he would pass away in Calgary at the age of 52. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. 
I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. In 1905, work began on the Great Canal, a project that was pushed forward by Lord and Lady Aberdeen. The project's plan was to bring in water from the highlands to the southeast of Vernon and create benchlands that circle Vernon to Okanagan Lake. The entire project was a massive undertaking, and it would take nine years to finish, costing a massive $423,000, or $10 million today. The Vernon News reported, quote, The Great Canal along the western outskirts of the city will be completed to its terminus at Okanagan Lake, and the work will be pushed forward with all possible dispatch. End quote. The canal would help the orchards and ranches in the area greatly, while also encouraging more settlement in the Vernon area. This canal and its irrigation system was the largest such district in all of British Columbia, even delivering more water than the system that supplied Vancouver. Its usefulness would eventually decline by the 1950s, and in 1963, rising costs had resulted in ditches being replaced with buried pipes. By the end of the decade, it was no longer in use. Today, the Great Canal has a new use, as a 50-kilometer route that is used for hiking, snowshoeing, horseback riding, and biking. Vernon's importance in the area as a growing centre was shown in 1911 when a new Canadian Pacific Railway station was built. This new station, made of brick, replaced the old station that was beginning to show its age after two decades. The fieldstone featured in the construction of the building helped to limit damage from trolleys that were moving freight in the area. It was from this station that soldiers would leave Vernon to fight in the First and Second World Wars or arrive to train at the Vernon Army Camp nearby. In the 1960s, passenger service ended at the station. In 1973, freight services ended. Soon after, the building became a restaurant, but a fire damaged the interior in 1981 and was sold. The city of Vernon was unable to buy it, but today it houses the Downtown Vernon Association in a law office and can still be visited for a look at a beautiful building that is now 110 years old. In 2000, the building was made a community heritage resource. On November 24, 1944, people reading the Vancouver province were shocked to see a headline that stated, Zombies Mall Army Officer. And while we might think something different today, back then it meant something completely different. It was on that day that 200 home defense troops attacked a captain and lieutenant during an anti-conscription demonstration in downtown Vernon. The captain tried to intervene when the draftees were marching through the streets yelling down with conscription, and he yelled, you dirty yellow zombies. He was then struck by some of the protesters, and the protesters then stated they were going to tear down the Legion Hall. One man yelled, quote, If they send us overseas, it will be in shackles. We want total conscription of wealth and materials as well as manpower. Why should we be the 16,000 appeasers for the rest of Canada? End quote. A group of men attempted to intervene, which caused a brief fight to start in the streets. 
The entire incident was brought under control quite quickly, and the excitement died down in Vernon for the rest of the day. In 1949, the Vernon Canadians were established as a men's hockey team, playing in the Okanagan Mainline League and the Okanagan Senior League. In its 12 years in those leagues, the team would reach the highest level in amateur hockey in Canada. In 1950-51, in only its second year of existence, the Canadians reached the league final but would lose. In 1954, they won the league championship and the provincial championship, the Savage Cup. One year later, in 1955-56, the team not only won the league and provincial championship, but also the Allen Cup, the top amateur trophy in Canada at the time. The team reached the Allen Cup again in 1958-59, but lost to the Whitby Dunlops. From 1949-50 to 1960-61, the team reached the league final seven times, winning five times. They also won the Savage Cup a total of three times. The team exists to this day as a beer league team, and it's the longest existing men's hockey team in the community. And several of its players also played in the NHL, including Don McLeod, who played in the 1974 Summit Series, and Doug McKay, who won the Stanley Cup with the Red Wings in 1950. On July 19, 1958, Vernon would get its first royal visit when Princess Margaret touched down the community, but there was a bit of drama before her arrival. As the plane was coming in at 4.45pm to make an amphibious landing at the lake, the plane came within inches of hitting the diving pier that was at the end of the main pier. Thankfully, the pilot was able to steer the plane away from it, and Princess Margaret was unaware of the near miss. Originally only supposed to spend 15 minutes in Vernon, she ended up staying for half an hour and she would ride through the city in an open black convertible as thousands of people waved to her along the route. She would meet the mayor, Reeve, and their wives, and receive flowers from Vernon's May Queen, Cheryl Shunter. She then cut a ribbon at the floral clock built in Polson Park, and she was reported to have said to the mayor, quote, What a beautiful place. End quote. Most communities are lucky to get one visit from Queen Elizabeth II, but Vernon is one of those rare communities that not only got one visit, but a second one as well. The first visit was on May 6, 1971, when the Queen and Prince Philip were touring through British Columbia in honour of the 100th anniversary of the province joining Confederation. The first trip was a short one. The Queen arrived in the community at lunch, spending 30 minutes in Vernon before heading off to her next stop in Kelowna. Other than the band starting late upon her arrival, everything seemed to go smoothly. During her brief stop, she would speak with cadets who would gather to welcome her, and hundreds of people would come out for the brief visit. The next visit would not come for another 12 years. It was on March 10, 1983 when she arrived, this time without Prince Philip. The visit would be longer, lasting for about one hour from 1pm to 2pm. She was in town to celebrate the 90th birthday of Vernon, and the birthday cake depicted the town as it was 90 years ago, and Doris Dawson, the baker, stated she was so nervous she needed sleeping pills to calm down. The BC Dragoons and the local Navy cadets were on hand to welcome her as she arrived in town, and the town's entire population seemed to be out to greet her, as she attended a luncheon party in the community. Mayor Lyle Hansen would greet her upon her arrival, and he would state, quote, I was a little nervous at first, but she's a very nice lady, end quote. He would add that she stated the community had changed since her last visit in 1971. He would say, quote, She's either well-briefed or has a very good memory. I can't think of anything I am likely to do during the rest of my life that will be as exciting as this, end quote. The Mission Hill Vineyards would then commemorate the visit by producing 500 bottles of their wine with the label stating, quote, To commemorate the visit of Her Majesty the Queen to Vernon, March 10, 1983, in celebration of the city's 90th year, end quote. If you would like to learn more about Vernon, then you should visit the Vernon Museum. The museum is located in a 12,000 square foot space that features 11 permanent displays that outline the history of Vernon through chronological displays. 
Displays begin with the Ice Age, then look at the indigenous history of the area, before moving on to the settler era and the eventual growth of Vernon into one of the most important cities in British Columbia. You can also travel around the community and see the history of Vernon and the many historical murals that have been painted, highlighting everything from the indigenous heritage to the modern history of the city. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Vernon. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.